the last word on Today FM with Matt Cooper. So, for the Culture Club today, I'm delighted to be joined by one of our best novelists, Lisa McInerney, who has followed the glorious heresies and the blood miracles with her new novel, The Rules of Revelation. So, Lisa, before we get to your choices for the Culture Club, tell us a little bit about the new novel and how it fits in with the previous ones. Yeah, so um, I like to call them uh, a a very loose trilogy until I was informed recently that actually a more literary term would be a cycle. You know, they're a cycle of books. So I'm very excited. That'd be posh, wouldn't it? (laughs) It makes it sound a lot more culturally important, doesn't it? So this one, it's... um, it, the heart of the first two novels is a character called Roy Cusack. We meet him at the very start of the Glorious Heresies when he's 15. In The Rules of Revelation, he's 24. It's that old story of the emigrant returning home and how people react to this emigrant's return. The only issue is for Ryan, uh, he's returned, but the things that he did in Ireland aren't, weren't exactly great. You know, he used to do a little bit of drug dealing, that kind of thing. So he's he's got a lot of baggage and how people react to him and his idea of a second chance is what I wanted to follow Tell us, how does a Galway woman become such a great chronicler of 21st century Cork? How do people in Cork deal with that? <laughs> uh, I, I've, I've, got, I've been up and down to Cork my whole life. I kind of, I've lived in Cork as much as I've lived in Galway, really. And Cork is kind of how the characters came out. And when I write about cities, it's always Cork City that's home to me, you know. So, I mean, uh, that that's how it ended up happening. And to my knowledge, anyway, the Corkonians seem very happy with it. So um, that's great. You (laughs) really have picked up the Cork accent as well, it has to be said. I think it's actually gone very flat again. It's good. I've been back now in Galway for a while, so I'm starting. Although I, I, I was told uh, recently that I sounded more like someone from Limerick now. So I was like, oh, thanks. <laughs> so you're very thanks culturally confused at that stage. I'm sure I'm every woman, all of Ireland. And tell us, the books are also going to be adapted for television, aren't they? Yeah, it's in the works anyway. So um, I, as you can imagine, the COVID thing kind of set us back big time. But um, in the works, happening slowly but surely. Very exciting. I'm sure it is. But have you, are you going to be involved in the writing of the screenplays? For Because for a lot of writers, you are handing over your creation when it moves <laughs> to television. No, I'm writing the screenplays, so um, which is great. Um, so I've been able to kind of look after that way. The thing is, it's it's all about re- relearning to tell the story because you have to tell it in a completely different way for a different medium. And a lot of the stuff that worked in the book in terms of pacing, etc., don't work on on the screen. So it's been a it's been a learning process. But I mean, it feels very self indulgent to be able to go back in and look at it again. I'm I'm having a great time. But I presume you'd want everyone to read the books first before they get to see it on the television, would you? Look. They should read them. They should download them in audio book. You know, <laughs> they should do the whole lot. <laughs> I actually, just for people who are coming to maybe hearing of your work now, should they start with the rules of Revelation? Would they be better off going back and reading the Glorious Heresies and the Blood Miracles first to get a better understanding of what's in the rules of Reve- Revelation? Yeah, I mean, my idea was that they would be able to stand alone each of the books and they could be read out of order. You could read whichever one most interested you. But I have had some readers you know, who who were coming to the Rules of Revelation new, being very happy and kind of saying that they, they got it. You know, it feels like being dropped in at the deep end, but they swam through it. And then other readers kind of go, no, I, I feel like I needed more context. So I went back and I started with the first one. So I guess whatever works, really. I, I mean, buy them all. Yeah, if you, if you read the Rules of Revelation first, you could treat the others as prequels in the way that a lot of movies and TV shows are done. Anyway, listen, exactly. we, we better move to your culture club choices. We always start with music. And I think music is a big thing for you 
you anyway, certainly judging from the way that it's covered in the books. Uh, what's the first single that you bought that you have a memory of? Yeah, so I, I the first one that it really um, meant something to me was Miss Shapes by Pulp. So the the English band Pulp. So I, this came out when I was, I think, 14. I just turned 14, which is a very dangerous age. And the song then is about, I think it was their second number one that year, because that was 1995 was Pulp's year. And that song was a kind of like an ode to weirdos to saying, rise up and we're going to we're going to win. And of course, at 14, when the, you're, the whole world is against you and you're against the whole world, it was just like the perfect hymn, you know. Let's hear a little bit of Miss Shapes by Pulp. Shapes, mistakes, misfits Raised on a diet of broken biscuits oh. oh, we don't look the same as you And we don't do the things you do But we live around here too, oh really Mistakes, mistakes, misfits We like to go to town but we can't risk it oh. Cause they just wanna keep us out You could end up with a smack in the mouth just for standing out now, really. Brothers, sisters, can't you see? The future's owned by you and me. They won't be fighting in the streets. They think they've got to speak, but revenge is gonna be so sweet. Uh -huh. We're making a move, we're making it now. We're coming out on the sidelines. Just put your hands up, it's the rain. Pulp and Misshapes from the 1995 album Different Class and clearly it was the lyrics you went for, was it? It, it definitely was. <laughs> that whole thing about like, you know, getting getting revenge or having revenge promised to you and all the, these people that you think are against you. I mean, it was just electric. Right. Favourite album. What have you nominated for us? I've nominated the album Bitter Drink, Bitter Moon by uh, the band Murder by Death. Now, I know you hear the, the words Murder by Death and you assume it's some sort of metal band. They're not. They're an American alt folk band. <laughs> um, the, the album Bitter Drink, Bitter Moon, I think it came out in 2012. So I was fairly late coming to Murder by Death. Um, I used to write uh, uh, for the pop culture site Cult.ie. I don't know if anyone will remember it. And when I lived down in Cork, I used to go along to gigs. I'd be occasionally asked to review gigs. And this was one band that I got an email from their publicist asking, will you go along and, and listen? And I said, yeah, Grant, you know, I wasn't too excited. But ever since then, I've just been devoted to Murder by Death. I just think they're fantastic. And not enough people on this side of the Atlantic have heard of them. OK, well, the track that we have from Bitter Drink, Bitter Moon is called Go to the Light. A lonesome star in a bitter sky I hear the hungry ghosts calling out in the night just a couple victims of this brutal prize am I strong enough to let things just die I fight just to keep the spark alive but if there's nothing 
representative is that track of their music uh, that would be fairly good rep- I mean do you hear that voice that's Adam Turla he's, he's kind of like a cross between Nick Cave and, and Johnny Cash absolutely amazing that that one is but the entire album it's like one of these albums and the reason I chose it is you know the way you'd have the bit of filler there's no filler in this this track or this album and there's so many amazing fully formed perfect songs they've got kind of good jaunts about people kind of you know being being dead and going to people's funerals and kind of all of this stuff and and very funny songs and then they've got kind of very moody tracks like the one you've just heard there so absolutely perfect album okay that's murder by death and the album is bitter drink bitter moon you've got me interested in that i have (laughs) never heard i have to say of your favorite band or artist tell us about her this is Sarah Sleen. So Sarah Sleen is a Canadian singer-songwriter, a little bit of chamber pop, a little bit of art rock. She's absolutely amazing. So I think I first came across her. Um, a friend of mine and uh, a friend of mine made a playlist for me many, many years ago. And I don't remember anything he put on the playlist apart from the Sarah Sleen tracks. I was just immediately in love with her. She's played it like she's again virtually unheard of here, but she's played a couple of times upstairs in Whelan's, another really tiny room up there that looks like a sitting room. And the only people there would have been like maybe 30, 40 people there at most. And it really felt like the most intimate gig. She's absolutely stunning. I love her. Okay, well, the track we have from her self-titled album is called Sweet Ones. That's very interesting, Sarah Sleen. I'm already actually starting to add stuff from her, from the, downloading it into iTunes to see which more I might like of that. So I'm getting Job great recommendations <laughs> from you today, Lisa McInerney. Uh, so what about the best gig you remember being at and what do you look for in a gig? Oh, I've, I've atmosphere. It would always be atmosphere. I mean, they're, 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 that's the whole point of live music, I think, is to, to kind of spend time with this band and to kind of take yourself out of what you feel when you're listening to them and have them deliver it to you, that kind of thing. I know that sounds a bit weird, but again, this one is from 2010 and it was around the time I was reviewing music for our gigs for Kulch.ie. And this was down in Cypress Avenue in Cork and the band is 65 Days of Static, which have the lovely title of being a post-rock band, you know. <laughs> They're from Sheffield. Oh, that's the second band from Sheffield. I just realised Pulp from Sheffield as well. They're from Sheffield in England. 
and it would be guitar driven instrumental music by way of electronic jiggery pokery. Electronic jiggery pokery. I think yeah. we'll talk more <laughs> about it when we've heard a little bit. Uh, this is Unmake the Wild Light by 65 Days of Static. Okay, that starts heading off in unexpected directions. (laughs) That's the thing. And you expect when you go to see a band like that live, you kind of expect it's just going to be a guy on on the stage behind a desk just pressing a button, you know. And the thing is, they play it all live. So the the, the drummer is playing live. the, The guitarists are playing live. I went to see them in Cypress Avenue. I remember trying to take a few photographs, you know. And I just none of the photographs had come out because they were just moving so quickly while they were playing. Like there were arms going, there were da. Absolutely amazing to watch. It really was something else. Okay, clearly, and we'll be getting to books in the next part of the Culture Club mm-hmm. here on the Last Word of TFM. But clearly, music is something you spend a lot of time listening to. is very important to you. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm a big uh, I'm a big listener of music. I'm a big collector of music. But God, can I I can't play it. <laughs> a lot of people ask me, you know, when you write a book about a band and there is a band in the Rules of Revelation. Like, uh, you know, are you are you a wannabe rock star yourself? I'm like, absolutely not. I'm I've, I've no ear for this kind of thing. And I know what I like and I know what I can listen to, but I am talentless <laughs> in that regard. Well, you're very talented when it comes to writing and we'll get to books sure. and television and various other things here in the Culture Club when we come back after the break. Stay with us. Lisa McInerney is coming back. The last word on Today FM with Matt Cooper. Welcome back. Lisa McInerney is our guest on the Culture Club for us today. And uh, go for a favourite movie for us, please. Uh, I have so many favourite movies, but the one I have chosen is Miller's Crossing, uh, which is a Coen Brothers movie, which I think many people might uh, connect with the fact that Gabriel Byrne plays the lead. Very much so. What is it about Miller's Crossing that made you pick it? Oh, I, 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 well, I'm a fan of the Coen brothers in general, and I, it's almost sacrilegious because they had such a long career, of course. It's almost sacrilegious to say that Miller's Crossing, you know, one of their early films is their best, but I absolutely adore it. So it, 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 it's, it's a gangster movie, but it's so much more than a gangster movie. It's a movie about a, an amazing character, Tom, which is the one played by Gabriel Byrne, being caught between two warring gangsters. And everything about it in terms of just the framing, the story, the dialogue, it's just spectacular. And Gabriel Byrne has never been better. We have a clip in which Gabriel Byrne features with Steve Buscemi. So you got your hat back? Yeah, what up? Not a thing, Tom. Look, if it ain't my business, I got not a thing to say. Listen, Bernie wants to see you. It's important. Yeah, well, I'm right here. I'm not made of glass. Yeah, but he's nervous walking around in public, Tom. He's a right guy, but he's very nervous. I mean, who wouldn't be? Look, I mean, the spot he's in, who wouldn't be? He asked me to ask you to ask Leo to take care of him, you know, putting a good word with Leo. Leo listens to you. Not that Leo wouldn't help the schmata anyway. A guy like Bernie is squared. You like the schmata, a straight shooter like him? I don't get it, Mike. Well, what's to get it? It's as plain as a nose on your face. I thought you were already dead sick of him. Yeah, Tom, that's right, but a guy could have more than one friend, can he? I mean, not that I want the Dane to know about it, but a square G like the schmata, he's the right guy, Tom. He's a square shooter. I know he's got a mixed reputation, but for a sheen, he's got a lot of good qualities. What's going on between you and Bernie? Nothing, Tom. We're just friends, you know, amigos. You're a fickle boy, Mink. 
If any dame finds out that you got another amigo, well, I don't pay again for the understanding, Tom. Find out? How's he gonna find out, damn it, Tom? You and me ain't even been talking. Jesus, Tom, damn it, Jesus. <laughs> Albert Finney is terrific in that movie as well, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. Everybody in it is a Marsha Gay Harden is also kind of plays the 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 insalubrious dame, I suppose you could call her the love interest as well. Interesting thing about the clip that you just played, uh, that was again one of Buscemi's first roles. And apparently he got the role of, of Mink Larui just because he was the guy who could talk the fastest, which I think we, we, we kind of <laughs> just heard. <laughs> OK, let's go to television and we ask people, just like we asked for the first single, we ask our guests to nominate, firstly, the television that influenced him as a child and as a teenager. Well, listen, if you want to hear the child and what about, about what a weird child I was, uh, Dog Tanyon in the Three Muscahounds was the absolute love of what my life that? for a while. This is, um, this is my first anime. It's a Spanish slash Japanese uh, production. Of course it course, is. <laughs> of course, with, uh, I think, American or possibly Canadian voice actors. It was, you know, it was the story of, I mean, very literary person, of course. It was the story of the Musketeers and, and D'Artagnan. But of course, they were dogs. And <laughs> I definitely wanted to be a dog when I was five years old. I'm kind of disappointed I haven't become one, to be honest. But... And do these dogs get up on horses? <laughs> They get up on horse. It's very strange. They wear trousers. They have um. They have swords. <laughs> they go and fight for the the honor of their country. It's very strange. <laughs> okay, well, the formative influences of what we're looking for. <laughs> and what did you move to them when you were a teenager? Do you know what jumped out at me for uh, the thing I used to watch when I was a teenager? It was I don't know if anybody else remembers it. It was a post-apocalyptic. Uh, New Zealand drama called The Tribe, and I think it was one of those things that used to be on Network Two like at half five, you know, the proper teenage time slot. And I just remember that the, the well, of course, the, the premise was unusual to me. I don't think we had an awful lot of post-apocalyptic teen shows that the idea was that all of the adults in this universe had died and the only people left were, were the children and how they would cope and how would they, they would survive. I remember the theme tune so clearly. I mean, I, I absolutely loved that show. And then as an adult, You've picked a Korean one for us. Where have you picked up the legal drama <laughs> Stranger? Oh, it's on a very uh, a small platform called Netflix. I don't know. <laughs> it's um, so Stranger is a Korean legal drama about, you know, very long winded. I think there's about 16 episodes per season and each of the episodes is over an hour long. And it's about corruption in Korean society and it's about the prosecutor's office and their their kind of love hate relationship with the with the the police over there and it features uh, a main character, Huang Shimok, who is possibly one of the most unpleasant people, but also endearing in his own way, a very kind of noble, but a real jerk. <laughs> I absolutely love it. It's available on Netflix. I'm telling you, if you can if you can sit down for an hour and 15 minutes, 16 times, you're going to have a great time. <laughs> OK, you've sold me on that as well. I'm getting great <laughs> recommendations out of this. But we're not playing a clip out of it because we don't have subtitles. So we have asked you to give us something that we can play from and you've given us Frasier. Completely different. There's absolutely no um, commentary on the the corruption in Korea. Uh, in Frasier, it's about, obviously, as you know, a radio psychiatrist in Seattle. <laughs> Indeed. And... What do you make of the fact that it might be coming back? I mean, is it best left finished at this stage, do you think? 
It's very strange because to my knowledge, I think that the only person signed on is Kelsey Grammer and that the, the idea who played Fraser, of course, and that the idea is to, it would be the next chapter of Fraser's life. So he'd he'd have moved on from Seattle. And and but I don't I don't know. I mean, it could be amazing. I mean, might one might ask, I mean, would you have watched Fraser originally pitched as the character from Cheers or, you know, who went to Seattle? I mean, and it was wonderful. So, but do I want it without David Hyde Pierce, who played Niles, his brother? I'm not sure. And John Manny is the dad as well. Yeah, John, he was great, wasn't he? He was really, he, and of course he's passed away since, so, yeah. yeah. Let's hear a little bit from Fraser. This is where Roz puts up an unexpected call on air from Fraser's ex-wife, Lilith. <laughs> Roz, who's our next call? We have someone on line one who disagrees with your advice to Hank. Oh, really? Hello, you're on the line. Congratulations, Fraser. You've done it again. <laughs> You've led another unsuspecting innocent down one of your dark, dead-end Freudian hallways. Lilith? Overeating is very simply a behavioral problem caused by negative reinforcement. It can be cured quite readily by behavior modification. I see. Well, Seattle, we have a celebrity of sorts on the line. This is my ex-wife, Lilith. What do you mean by celebrity? Oh, they know you. <laughs> Ross, what exactly does call screening mean? It means I get to put on the air the calls I want to hear. Well, Lilith, what brings you to Seattle, the constant rain? I'm here for a convention, and I happen to hear your voice on the radio. I kept hoping you'd introduce Pearl Jam's latest hit, but much to my chagrin, you were doling out worthless little advice pellets from your psychiatric Pez dispenser. Well, I guess you'll be rushing off to your little convention now, and I suppose we'll just have to catch up on your next trip. Actually, I'm not doing anything for dinner tonight. Really? Well, then you'll want to keep your dial tuned to 780 for Gil Chesterton's restaurant beat. <laughs> Very sharp and funny, isn't it? <laughs> oh, the dialogue in that is just... And the character that interrupts there, Lilith, um, for those who haven't seen Fraser, she's presented as this evil ex-wife, but she is absolutely wonderful. She's one of my favourite characters, and I think that dialogue there should really sell her to you. <laughs> OK, let's go back to books. And one of the, you, mm. you've given us so many novels, and we can understand that because <laughs> books are your thing. But uh, you have seem to have a real thing for South Korea, do you? I, uh, yeah, um, they caught me out on that. Yeah, I do have a bit of a thing for Korea, I think, clearly. But I mean, look at this. At least I didn't give you any K-pop, which was a, a quite a possibility. <laughs> Explain K-pop to me. Korean pop music. It is oh. like the, the, the most perfectly formed, ridiculous industry of pop. Have you not heard of BTS, Matt? No. Mother of God. <laughs> no. There's another one now for your Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I might draw a line there. <laughs> Tell us about your favourite South Korean author, though. Uh, well, Han Kang is the name of the author, and um, she won the International uh, Man Booker Prize recently or a few years back for her novel, The Vegetarian. So she's three novels that have been translated into English, The, the Vegetarian, Human Acts and The White Book. And the reason I think she, I, I, I think she's a genius and the reason is like each of those books is so completely different. 
she does different things. She tackles different subjects. She uses different narrative voices. I mean, she's she's one hell of an artist. So I hugely admire her. We actually have a clip from the English language audio version of The Vegetarian. Before my wife turned vegetarian, I'd always thought of her as completely unremarkable in every way. To be frank, the first time I met her, I wasn't even attracted to her. Middling height, bobbed hair neither long nor short, jaundiced, sickly-looking skin, somewhat prominent cheekbones. Her timid, sallow aspect told me all I needed to know. As she came up to the table where I was waiting, I couldn't help but notice her shoes, the plainest black shoes imaginable, and that walk of hers, neither fast nor slow, striding nor mincing. However, if there wasn't any special attraction, nor did any particular drawbacks present themselves, and there was no reason for the two of us not to get married. The passive personality of this woman, in whom I could detect neither freshness nor charm, or anything especially refined, suited me down to the ground. There was no need to affect intellectual leanings in order to win her over, or to worry that she might be comparing me to the preening men who pose in fashion catalogues, and she didn't get worked up if I happened to be late for one of our meetings. Vegetarian by Han Kang. You have other authors and books that you want to nominate, though, starting with Wuthering Heights. Yeah, so Wuthering Heights would be my favourite classic novel. And I think it's one that gets a very bad rap because I think a lot of people who haven't read it assume it's some sort of, you know, delightful romance. It is not a romance. It is a it's a horror comedy about terrible people doing terrible things. I think I came to Wuthering Heights. I was I had just started college, I think, when I read it. So I, I was at a good age. I think any earlier than that, I, I wouldn't have liked it at all. I think you have to be of a certain age for the classics to kind of to really hit you. But it is it's a book I try to read every year because I just find it so funny. And, it, you know, beautifully written, of course, and the characters are memorable. And you've got Heathcliff, who, like all the devil, he gets the best lines. But it is such a funny, dark, kind of demented novel. I love it. You've also nominated uh, Last Exit to Brooklyn, uh, which mm. I remember as a movie, but I'm not familiar with the book. And it was one of your favourites. Why so? Yeah, it's Hubert Selby Jr. is the name of the author. Um, I, I'm convinced this is the great American novel. Um, Last Exit to Brooklyn, of course, I think was written in 1962, I believe. I could be slightly wrong with that, though. And um, here is a book that features as its cast of characters, people you would say on the lowest rung of society. So you've got sex workers, you've got kind of people in dead end jobs, you've got, you know, beleaguered parents, you've got all of these kind of people. And the fact that Selby has given them such, you know, wonderfully compelling voices and such humanity. And at the same time, this is a book that's written in in very vibrant, very unusual, very fast language, very much capturing this the, the rhythm of the Brooklyn streets back at the time. It really is. It, it's not the easiest read in the world. You'd need to be in the headspace for it. But it is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I'm one final book you want to nominate. Robert Bologna? Bologna? <laughs> Roberto Bolaño. Okay. <laughs> he is a, a, a Chilean author. Okay. <laughs> and why did you pick uh, him? Um, so this, I'm very late coming to Bolaño. So uh, he was a, like his novel, The Savage Detectives has been on my bookshelves here for ages and ages. And it was one of those things that I, I've always wanted to read and I kept pushing it back and it back because if you're a, a, a working writer, you get a lot of books to read for novels that may be coming out or events that you might be doing. So there's a lot of work reading and sometimes the stuff that you really want to read gets pushed back. 
So this year I said, you know what, in January, I just took it down. I said, I'm going to read this. And it, uh, where has he been all my life? I just feel I feel like I was bereft beforehand. I mean, he really is so much fun and life and hilarity and nonsense and love of the written word in everything he does. OK, Wonderful. great recommendations across lots of things. Unfortunately, I'm out of time. I don't have time to get to podcasts. But Lisa McInerney, thank you so much. And I know that there's going to be an enormously positive reaction to The Rules of Revelation, your third novel, which has just been published. Thank you very much for joining oh, us here you. on The Last Word at Today FM. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Listen live on air from 4.30 weekdays on Today FM.